Good morning. How are you guys? All right. <laughs> a little bit tired, it sounds like. Me too. Me too. Well, welcome. You know, First John uh, is a book that I've been excited uh, for some time uh, about uh, to be able to have an opportunity to teach from at least part of it. And uh, some of you guys may have noticed we've been rotating through here uh, quite a bit. Lots of opportunities for uh, for several of us to uh, to teach. Uh, out of this book. Uh, part of that is due to scheduling. Part of that is also due uh, to our desire to, uh, to raise up and to give uh, our pastors and our elders and those in training an opportunity uh, to teach. And so this month and the scheduling made it a great opportunity for us to be able to share the load, so to speak. And, uh, and it has been uh, challenging uh, just because First John is challenging uh, but it's also been fun to have uh, a variety of, um, of different uh, speakers who can share their opportunities, their insight, their experiences, uh, and I, I've just been blessed by it. I don't know about, about you, uh, but I've been blessed, blessed by it, and part of that might be because First John holds such a special place in my heart, and I will get to that as we, uh, as we go, but um, God has used this book, uh, this writing from John so powerfully in my own life. And I think for us as, as, as pastors and teachers, the opportunity to, to teach from something that has helped to shape where we are today is, is, uh, is always an exciting thing. And so if I come across with a little bit more uh, passion than normal, uh, understand that it's because I am, am so excited uh, about the work that God has done in my life through this book, through this letter that John has written. Uh, it is a privilege uh, for me, a great privilege to have an opportunity to teach today. And so we're continuing through this series in First John. Blaine got to kind of open us up. Uh, Rory taught us in the park. Uh, last week was Jeremy hitting one of the most challenging uh, and yet uh, one of the most formative sections of First John in, that personally has affected me. And what a what a great opportunity that was for me. I was in children's ministry last week, so I didn't get to sit in here and listen. Uh, but it was such a great thing to go back through this week uh, and to listen to that teaching online. Uh, and it's not because it's an easy teaching to listen to. I don't, I don't know how many of you guys uh, were here last week. I don't know how many of you have done a study in First John. Uh, but it's challenging. But I am so thankful for the Holy Spirit and how he uses sometimes these challenging things to open up our eyes and, and I'll say for me, to literally, I, I believe, save my life. And so I'm grateful for that. And what a beautiful thing it is to be able to, to teach and to share some of that with you guys, my family. And, uh, and I, hope it, uh, <clears throat> I hope it affects you uh, in a similar way. I hope that this season of time as we walk through and we, and we begin to wrap up First John, uh, that we would all be changed, that we would be challenged by the Holy Spirit, uh, and that we, uh, as John tells us, would have confidence about who we are in Christ. That we would have confidence that we can know beyond a shadow of a doubt, we can know that we can know that we can know that we are in Him. What an awesome thing that is. You know, before, uh, well, I, I should say, if you're visiting, uh, I also just want to say I'm, I'm so pleased that you could join us today. Uh, and it's my, uh, it's my hope. I see a lot of new faces. I've been gone a, a few weeks. We've been on vacation, uh, been in children's ministry. I've only had an opportunity to be in, uh, in here a few times, but it's just so great to see uh, new faces and to meet new people 
uh, and uh, just welcome today. We're so glad that you're here. And before I get into the scripture today, I also just wanted to share uh, with you guys a message that I received yesterday. Um, I think it's timely that we, you know, had an opportunity there to, to talk about Cynthia and, and the work that's going on in Nepal. Many of you know that Nepal has a special place in our heart as a church. We've, we've invested time and, and ministry there. The Lord has, has opened up doors and, and allowed us to go. And one of the places that we've gone where we've met Cynthia was in Badur. Uh, it's a, it's an, a wonderful community. And as I was there the very first time, just so strongly the Holy Spirit spoke some things into my heart about that community, about that church even, and, and the role that it has in, in Nepal, in the, in the spread of the gospel, in the light that is shining in this dark nation, in this dark country. And, and along those lines, I just wanted to share with you guys, I sent just a, from time to time, I communicate with Pastor Dill. He's the, he's the local pastor of the church there in Badur. Uh, and I just like to encourage him from time to time and, uh, and we'll communicate once in a while. Uh, it's amazing that Facebook gives us this opportunity to do this. I get to talk with my brother in Nepal uh, who lives such a different life, such a different place, such a, uh, a different uh, set of circumstances that affect their Christianity than what affects ours. But he wrote me this week and he says, thank you, brother, for your prayer and encouragement. We have a prayer matter that nowadays our neighbors are so angry towards Bedur Church. They don't want to see church here. I'm using his words. They, uh, they don't want to see a church here in Bedur is what he's saying. So they are going to build walls surrounding us. Their plan is to remove the church from this place. Today I preached from the book of Nehemiah and encouraged the members to pray and trust to God because he will fight for us. We will not be defeated. Please put this matter in prayer and convey my greeting to Pastor Blaine, Pastor Rory, Brother Ken, and other brothers and sisters to those who know us. Thanks. Let's take a moment and let's just pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the church in Bedour and the church in Nepal and the church around the world. God, that you have allowed us to partner with you in what you are doing and the work that you have started and the work that you are going to be faithful to complete in these nations where so many do not know you. This is not a nation that is open to the gospel. This is not a nation that, that the government allows us to just go in and to preach. Yet your light is shining. And Lord, we just pray for the church in Bedur. We pray that the believers, uh, Lord, would stand strong in the midst of persecution, that they would love the people who are persecuting them well, that they themselves would, would lay down their lives in the same way that you laid down your life for us. Lord, that they would not become angry, but they, they would reach out and love their brothers and sisters. God, we pray for Pastor Dill that you would allow him to shepherd his flock well. Lord, that you would allow him to have confidence and, and faith that you will deliver them from whatever may come. And not just for the sake of deliverance, God, but also for the sake that, that your gospel and your light is shining. And we know the enemy does not want it there. And so, Lord, we pray that, that you would go forth in the midst of any struggle, any persecution, and Lord, that, that those who persecute would actually be those, just like Paul, who come to a knowledge of who you are. 
Lord, we pray for Pastor Dill. We pray for the church that they would be a shining light of love to a community that does not know you. Lord, we pray not just for protection, Lord, because we know that often you use these difficult struggles in places around the world for your gospel to go forward, but we pray that they would be able to stand strong regardless of what the enemy brings against them. We ask this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Well, as I mentioned uh, in my introduction, First uh, John uh, has been very formative. I, I would say it, it, it is a letter. The Holy Spirit has used it to radically change my life. I believe that I am uh, the, the person I am today in Christ, largely because of the Holy Spirit's work. And I credit a lot of that to uh, the, the work that, I, that was accomplished in my study and my reading of First John. You know, as we study John and we, uh, we understand that John had a unique relationship uh, with Jesus. When we read the Gospel of John, who uh, we believe is also the same uh, writer that wrote the letter of 1 John to the churches. And as Blaine pointed out in his uh, introductory teaching, you know, we know that John was an old man by the time that he, that he wrote much of the material that we have, that we accredit to him. That he may well have been in his, in his 80s, maybe even as old as 90 when he wrote. And yet one of the things that, that, that struck me so much about John uh, in his gospel and, and in these letters is, uh, is you can tell that John absolutely loves Jesus. You can tell that he had a unique relationship with Jesus. It's evident in how he writes. It, it's evident in the things that he says and how, how passionately he defends the gospel. And we're going to get to that, but First John, a lot of First John, we see this from, it's woven throughout the entire letter, this passionate defense of who Jesus is, this passionate defense. And he says, look, you know, some of these people who are coming against, uh, against the church, against this false, this false teaching that's permeating this culture, he says, I walked with this guy. We, we've, we've actually, I've, I've, I've physically, my hands have touched him. I understand that he was both flesh and, and spirit. And so he's, he writes from a unique perspective as he passionately defends the truth. And if you read John's gospel, you see that it, it reads a lot like uh, maybe what uh, some might call a love Letter And obviously not in a, in a weird way, but just that, that John uh, had such a deep relationship with Jesus. We, we don't know for sure uh, all the ins and outs. We're not always given a great uh, perspective of everything that happened. But we do know that Peter, James, and John spent a lot of time with Jesus. We know that. In John's gospel, he, he calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. He had a deep friendship with Jesus. And that is so evident. So as we read John, we, it's just helpful to have that perspective. And as we read First John, this epistle that he wrote, it's helpful to have this perspective. We see a lot that First John, you know, just to, not to belabor this too much, but I, I think it's so important that we understand in context what's happening. And for maybe some of you who haven't been here in the last couple of weeks, John is writing this letter. And as, and as Blaine uh, just kind of alluded to here, it talks a lot about how we can make sure that we are, are not uh, pretending to be Christians. And by that meaning that we ourselves aren't 
maybe even self-deceived in what that means and what that looks like. He wants to be clear, and, and I want to, to be clear that John is also battling, uh, as I mentioned before, there's some, there's some heretical teaching that's going on, some teaching that, um, that some of you might be aware of called Gnosticism, uh, some teaching that some of you might be aware uh, called uh, Middle, uh, oh man, Stoicism, I think it was. No, Middle Platonic teaching. And this was a demonic teaching, both of them, that basically denied that Jesus came in the flesh. So John is spending a lot of time, he's spending a lot of time defending the gospel and defending the truth of the gospel and the truth of who Jesus was. And John is also spending a lot of time because what he was saying about some of these heretical teachings and some of these demonic teachings that were welling up quickly... It's amazing that Jesus hasn't been gone that long and already the enemy is bringing and introducing all kinds of heretical teaching and and, and a lot of it is lacking in a couple of things. And the things that John really focuses on and he really shows us is, is that it's lacking in holiness and righteousness. It's largely intellectual in nature. But it's also lacking in love. And he says you can't, you can't be a follower of Jesus, we can't call ourselves followers of Jesus and not have love for one another. It's not compatible. It doesn't work. He goes on to describe, he says, that who, the person who has the, the seed of God in them, the Holy Spirit in them, also can't go on and be continuing practicing to sin. Uh, Je- Jeremy talked about that last week. That's just not possible as the, as the Spirit of God dwells in us. And I, I believe there was a quote from A.W. Tozer that I, I posted on my Facebook page, and it was so timely. It said that, you know, that, that when the Spirit of God indwells in a man, he doesn't allow him to live like the rest of the world. You can be sure of that because the Holy Spirit is dwelling in that man. He will not live like the rest of the world. Now, I want to be careful. That doesn't mean that we won't sin. That doesn't mean that we won't fall short. But it means that we will be changed and transformed. It's my prayer today that this is a a message that not only rings true in your heart, maybe convicts you as it has convicted me at times and continues to convict, but also that we would leave here filled with hope because he tells us that we can be assured. He tells us that we don't have to live in fear. You know, one of the great things about following Jesus that that many religions lack is certainty. Jesus allows us to be certain in who we are, in our identity. He allows us to be certain of our salvation. Many religions are spent with a lot of time spent trying to appease, trying to do, trying to work, trying to earn. All things that are contrary to the gospel. All things that are contrary to the truth. The message of the gospel indeed is good news. And it's good news for us today. Let's jump in to 1 John. Wow, we're already 15 minutes in here. All right. 1 John 4. We're going to start with verse 1. We're going to read through. I'm going to try to move quickly today because there's a lot to cover. 1 John 4. Test the spirits. 
Starting in verse 1, Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the, the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And I'm going to, to add into that Jesus coming in the flesh is not from God. Because as we discussed, he's talking very specifically and battling this, this, uh, this idea of Gnosticism. He goes on to say, this is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is great, uh, in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world. Therefore, they speak from the world and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Now we're going to stop there for a second because I want you to notice a couple of things. He talks about testing the spirits. He talks about any, anyone that, that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh uh, is of God and those that do not are not from God. He talks about the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard is coming and is now in the world. And if we look around us, we can see that, that that is multiplied many, many times over. As I mentioned, it didn't take very long for Christ to leave the earth, the gospel to start being preached, and immediately for there to be an Antichrist spirit pervasive in the world. Why? Because that's what the enemy Desires. He does not desire that people would come to a knowledge of the truth. He desires that they would remain enslaved to their former self, to their passions, to the things that destroy, to, to death. He wants to keep us in bondage. He wants to keep us in those chains. So John is coming right out and saying, look, this is already going forth. But he says, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Now, I don't know about you, but many times I've heard that verse, and, and I think we take that verse many times uh, out of context and use it for a variety of purposes. But it's, it's interesting to note that this, this, this verse that we reference so many times is used here in, in this idea of overcoming false teaching. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. And he goes on to say, they are from the world, therefore they speak from the world. So these people who are coming in, who are, who are creating trouble, who are creating heresy, who are coming in and, and preaching something that is not true. He says, of course, the world listens to them because they are from the world. So they speak from the world and the world listens to them. And then he goes on to say, we're from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Believers, Christians, family, we are living also in difficult times in this regard. Do not believe every spirit is how Paul starts this chapter. I mean, uh, John starts this chapter, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Test the test the spirits. What does, that, what does that mean? Well, obviously he's talking about 
the teaching that is going forward and whether or not it is true, whether or not it, it speaks of the Holy Spirit. And he's already given us tests that we can determine this. He says, look at these people. They teach so many things. But, but if you're teaching Jesus, you also have to teach righteousness. Anyone who teaches and doesn't teach righteousness isn't from God. He who doesn't, who doesn't live according to the way that, that we've been given to live, he says, don't be deceived. Those who practice righteousness are from God. Those who do not are from the devil. These are John's words, not mine. He talks a lot about walking in the light, walking in the truth. If we do this, we have fellowship with him and, and with one another. And the blood of Jesus covers all of our sins. In 2 Timothy, we're assured that in the last days there will come times of great difficulty. People will be lovers of self and of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of, excuse me, lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness, but denying its power. Avoid such people, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. You see, some of the same things haven't changed in 2,000 years since Christ has, has <clears throat> returned to heaven and as we await his return. And as this Antichrist spirit has permeated the earth. And it's, and it's increasing so much in our, in our day, in our culture, as I watch so many people that I know and I love walk away from truth. You know, the world likes to talk about Jesus. And so did these believers or these, these, uh, these people who were, who were speaking to the believers in the church about Jesus, but they weren't talking about the same Jesus. They weren't talking about the Jesus that came in the flesh. So how is this applicable to us? In some ways, we may not be battling all the same heresies. John was battling something very specific, so he writes about it in his letter. But it's no different than some of the things we face today. The world's Jesus. I think it's important that we address this. The Jesus that the world likes to reference and to talk about is a Jesus that loves, but not a Jesus who calls men to follow him or to righteousness. It's a Jesus who eats with sinners, but not a Jesus who sets them free and calls them to holiness. It's an accommodating Jesus who turns a blind eye to sin, or worse, if you listen to many of these teachers, approves of it. Not a Jesus who tells men to cut off their hand or pluck out their eye or go and sin no more. They do not love the Jesus who tells them to deny themselves, to take up their cross, and to follow him. They don't talk about the Jesus who says, I am the way. No one comes to the Father but through me. That's not the Jesus that they love. There is a strong and growing Antichrist spirit in our world. 
and I would say very much specifically in Western culture. An antichrist spirit is not just what we see when we go to Nepal with Hindu and, and Buddhist teachings that, that obviously are so different from Christianity and who, and who uh, are, are, are against the church being formed there. No, the Antichrist spirit also is, is a spirit that points to a Jesus that isn't Jesus. And that is what we often are having to deal with. I don't know how many of you guys are familiar with, uh, with the band of the Newsboys. I've been following, they've been around a long time. Um, they have a song out. It's called Guilty. It says, when did it become breaking a rule to say your name out loud in school when your name is the only one that sets us free? When did it become incorrect to speak the truth about life and death when your life gave us all eternity? Even if it gets me convicted, I'll be on my knees with my hands lifted. He go, they go on to say, if serving you is against the law of man, if living out my faith in you is banned, then I'll stand right before the jury. And the idea is I want to be guilty. If that's what it means to be guilty, then I want to be guilty. I have a lot of progressive friends. They're self-identifying progressive. Uh, some of them would, would call themselves liberal progressive. They also like to talk a lot about Jesus, but I find that the Jesus that they talk about does not match very frequently the Jesus that we see in Scripture. Again, the world's Jesus is often a Jesus that we talk about love, we talk about acceptance, we talk about a lot of things, we talk about tolerance. But when I, conv- when I convey these, these scriptures to them, when we talk about 1 John, they almost don't like to talk about the scripture altogether. You know, reading a book like 1 John uh, makes a lot of the teaching that, that runs around in modern Christian circles very difficult. I, I have a, be- a, a belief personally that that's a lot of the reason why we don't hear it taught very frequently. You know, we love the message of grace, and oh, thank God for grace. Thank God for grace. But when the Holy Spirit comes, and he, and he dwells in us, and He takes over, and He takes control, it's not that we don't sin, it's not that we don't struggle with sin, but, but we can no longer live like the world. And so much of the teaching, so much of the theology that exists today is, is around creating a Jesus that looks like us. Creating a Jesus that accommodates how we want to live. It's not about us being in conformance with with his teaching and his commandments. We want him to be in conformance with whatever passion, whatever desire, whatever we want. That's not the Jesus of scripture. But friends, that is the Jesus that, that so many are teaching. And this Antichrist spirit seeks to remove Jesus from the public square. I don't know if you've noticed that. But many of my liberal progressive friends are, are quick to talk about separation of church and state. Every time we talk about Jesus in the public square, every time we talk about the issues that are, that are facing uh, believers with regard to their faith. And there are many of them. You don't have to read much through the news on any given week to see that there is a challenge against believers and, uh, and living faith and living righteously and living out the convictions of their hearts. And especially in the public square. But most of their arguments are man-made and man-centered. 
I don't recall the exact conversation, but I remember being in a discussion with somebody on Facebook about uh, something that had to do with, uh, with maybe an after-school program that they thought was a little bit too closely related to, to religion. Maybe it was a Young Life Club or something on a campus. And I remember one of the, there's just, just so much hatred in those threats. You, it's hard to, 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 to be loving. It's hard to, to, uh, to listen to so much because it, it makes very little sense. And especially to uh, those of us who, who know and have been transformed, who have been saved, and all we want to do is to be able to tell others about the truth of Jesus. But they said, well, if you do that, then you're going to have to open the door to everybody to come in, the Satanists, the whoever else, the, you know, this religion, that religion, is that what you want? And my answer to that, of course, used to be, no, of course I don't want to see Satan in the schools, but friends, he's already there. He is already there. And I believe strongly that our message is far superior to anything that this world has to offer. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They don't have a message that is worth listening to. They don't have a message that can save. And so I believe wholeheartedly, if that's what it takes, then yes. But there is a strong movement to continue to remove Jesus from the public square. But a faith that can't be lived in public is not a faith at all. A faith that cannot be lived out in every aspect of our life, that doesn't transform everything about who we are. It's not just something that we come and it's okay if you believe that on Sunday when you gather together with the other worshipers and, and you guys can all profess your belief then, but keep it out of the public square. No. No. Just like they said, how can it be when that is the only name that sets people free? How is it that we can be okay with being quiet and being silenced in the public square? It's not even about rights. It's about life and death. Another thing that I think that we need to be careful of is that there's a great spirit of the modern day Pharisee. It's alive and well. Sometimes it lives inside of us, doesn't it? There's a tendency sometimes that we can, that we can misplace what John is saying. That we can think that, that, that he's giving us some kind of instruction when really first John ends up being more like a thermometer, a barometer. It's a check. John is giving us some tests to, to say, you claim to be of God, but, but are you? Here's how you can know. It's easy for us to begin to, to trumpet righteousness as if that is something that, that we can work up in and of ourselves. That we give people a list of things to do, a list of things not to do, and that's a lot of the view that people have of the church. That may be the view that some have of this church. We must be careful that we're not giving people just burdens to carry. We need to be giving people Jesus. He is the one who sets us free. He is the one who enables us to do this. It's his grace. It's his love. It's his example that we follow. It's the Holy Spirit in us that empowers us to do and to live righteously. It's the Holy Spirit in us that empowers us to love. And we're going to get there in a second about love. But I want to, to bring this this is something that the Lord laid on my, on my mind and on my heart uh, a few years ago, actually. It's funny, I don't know why he seems to do this in the shower. <laughs> Take a shower, and maybe it's just because it's the one quiet place in our house with five kids and dogs and everything else. That... But he, he spoke to me, and, and he said, 
that the modern-day Pharisee isn't just what we often think of. You know, because this, this group of people who are teaching a lot of this false teaching, and, a lot, and it's pervasive, a lot of it is, is about, uh, about somehow coming against those who are righteous, as if righteousness is the problem. Righteousness is not the problem. Self-righteousness is a problem, but righteous living is not a problem. John tells us those who practice righteousness are of God. Those who do not are not. He says it a lot less friendly and politically correct. He says those who do not are of the devil. That's his words. So clearly, God expects us to live righteously. And and John goes further. He says, look, you, you can't help but that. If God's seed abides in you, you cannot continue to just make a practice of sinning. You can't continue to just go along and, and, and be of the mindset, oh, I'm just asking for forgiveness along the way. Thank you, God, for your grace. And not attempting to live righteousness, to live out the, the things that he's called us to do, namely to love him and to love others. You know, all those things in the law, all those lists of right and wrong, so many of the things that we see in the Bible, Jesus tells us are summed up in two things. You love God and you love people. And when you do that, these things will flow out of you. And if these things are, are markers in your life, uh, and, and if these things are not markers in your, of your life, you need, to, you need to check those things. We need to abide in Jesus. We need to understand what is true and ask him for the strength and the ability to carry it out. But the modern Pharisee doesn't just live self-righteously. They love to label those who are righteous as Pharisees, but that's not what Jesus struggled with in Scripture with the Pharisees. He struggled with the Pharisees because they were hypocrites. In fact, I'm, I'm going to just read something from, uh, from Matthew. I hope you, you'll bear with me here for a second. I love to use a lot of Scripture when I teach. Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works that they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. Jesus was not upset with the Pharisees because... They were doing such a great job at living righteously. Jesus condemned them because they pretended to be righteous when in fact they were hypocrites. And he goes on to say, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you neither enter yourselves nor allow those who would go enter to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across the sea and land to make a single proselyte, and when he becomes a proselyte, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourselves. That's pretty heavy words. But the modern Pharisee is not that much different from the Pharisee of Scripture. You know, what did Jesus talk about? He says, why is it that you, that you use your tradition to not have to follow the commandments of God? You ask everybody else to follow them, but you use and you come up with traditions that allow you to nullify the commandments of God. The modern Pharisee seeks to use or to twist Scripture to live how they want to live. And it's no different than the former Pharisee. That's all that they did. 
They took the law and they took tradition and they twisted scripture to allow them to live how they wanted to live while holding everybody else to a different standard. Now, it is true that these guys prided themselves in, 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 in the law and knowing the law and showing everybody that they knew the law and showing everybody how holy they were. And that was another part of their motivation. They wanted to be seen as holy. And Jesus said, boy, if you just clean the inside of the cup, the outside will reflect that. Let me clean the inside of the cup. The outside will reflect holiness if the inside is clean. They accuse others of legalism, these modern Pharisees do, for preaching righteousness and holiness. And doing so often quickly, if you do those things, preach righteousness and holiness, will get you labeled a legalist. I want you to understand, and that is the culture, that is the time we are living in, even in Christendom. Even as many would be out there calling themselves part of the church, claiming to be part of the church, that there are so many false teachers, especially on the liberal progressive side of Christianity that will immediately label you a legalist for doing nothing but preaching. And re if you read the words of 1 John out loud, you would be labeled a legalist. But I want you guys to understand this is powerless. This is powerless Christianity. Jesus doesn't just come to save, although thank you that he does. But he transforms us also from the inside out. You know, Paul, in much of his writing and much of his warnings about these false teachers and about this false Christianity, tells us they will have the appearance of godliness but deny the power thereof. The Holy Spirit and the transformation that happens in a life is the evidence of the power of God at work. Just revisiting that quote from Tozer is before we move on. The Holy Spirit never enters a man and lets him live like the world. You can be sure of that. There's some more I want to say about that. We'll come to that at the end. But I want to move on. If we go back to 1 John... Starting in verse 7, if you guys are there with me still. This is the other test that we're given, that John gives us. He talks a lot about loving our brother. He uses this test of love to help talk about these, these differences between those who are, who are heretics and a lot of this false teaching that's permeating this time and those who are true. Those who are genuine. I don't know about you, but I want to be true. And I want to be genuine. And that doesn't imply perfect. Please don't hear that that's what I'm saying. This should not leave us condemned. This should leave us filled with, with hope. Because we can be true. Beloved. I love, I, I love this. This is, this is getting to the heart of what's on my heart. Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. I'm going to stop there for a second, just relate this back. It also says, God is light. In him is no darkness at all. Then John's giving us this picture, saying, God is love. 
So if we are walking in the light, if we have fellowship with light instead of darkness, and, and God is love and God's seed abides in us, then what John is saying, if that is true and that is genuine and that is something that is being developed in us, then we also ought to love, correct? That is one of the gauges, that's one of the barometers, this temperature, this measurement that we have that we can look at and say, am I loving? Am I genuine? In this, the love of God was made manifest. He's going to demonstrate this for us. That God sent His only Son, Jesus, into the world so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Did you catch that? God is giving us the greatest demonstration of love. He said, look, you didn't even love me, but I sent my son for you. He is the propitiation for your sins. So as we are walking through this life and we know that we will fall short, probably daily, as we sin, I love how in chapter 2 he says Jesus is our advocate. He's already there at the right hand of the Father. And as the accuser comes and says, Aaron this, Aaron that, Joe this, right? Mark this, Blaine this. Jesus says, no, you see me, my righteousness. That's been imparted to them. You see, that's the beauty of this, of this walk. And we're, not, we're, not, we're not called to be perfect, but we are called to be holy. We are called to be righteous. And none of us in our own ability, our own strength, on our, on our best day can accomplish that but God, but Jesus, but his sacrifice, but the power of the Holy Spirit living in us. Did you catch the test? Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. So it's impossible for us to walk around. And, and this is what he was addressing with this heresy. All these people say, I know God. I know God. I know God. And this is, this is what we're facing too. There's so many people out there saying, I know God. I know Jesus. But one of the tests we can immediately look at is, do you love? You know, I've come to a place in my walk, in my, in, uh, you know, I don't even like calling it walk anymore, in my relationship with Jesus. In this, in this intimacy, in this abiding, that, this, this relationship with him, I used to read a lot of books, a, a lot of different authors, a lot of different subjects. I wanted to learn. I wanted to gain knowledge. I really wasn't that much different than some of the people that he's talking about here. There's a lot of people out there who understand or try to understand God intellectually. There's a ton. My Facebook feed is full of armchair theologians constantly spilling their ideas on God. But the ones that I listen to and the ones that I read no longer are just everybody who writes a book. Even if it's something that, that, uh, that maybe I've thought about in, in my own mind. Like, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. Or that, you know, and it's not that I'm not unwilling to read, but I'm very careful because Paul tells us that the time is short. The days are evil. Live with the, the best use of your time that you can. 
And I found that if I'm going to take time to read things other than the scripture that help me to understand it, to help me to understand God, then boy, I'm going to look to people who I see living it. I'm going to read from the authors who I look at their life and they demonstrate that they believe this with all their heart because this is how they live. It's what defines their life and they're marked by love. You know, love isn't words. It is. We, we, we can say loving things to people, but, but love is much bigger than that. Love is lived out in what we do, what we practice. These guys here in Scripture were full of words. And John says, yeah, but you do not love. You do not walk according to God's command. You, in fact, you set that aside to do what you want to do, to live how you want to live. He says, no, that's not the mark. That's not the mark of the Holy Spirit abiding in you. So I've made it a personal challenge to be careful about who I listen to. You know, there's a lot of teaching out there these days on the internet, and a lot of it is good. But there's a lot of bad teaching, too. And so to help me, to keep me close, I've made it an effort to listen to those who I see so strongly the evidence of God in their life, not just their words. And you know, that's one of the beautiful pictures about the local church. It's one of the beautiful pictures about this body, about us, is that we come together and you get a chance to listen and you can say, yeah, these are, these are people who love me or no, they're not. And I'm going to run and go the opposite direction. If we do not love, we are not true. Now, that doesn't mean that we won't fall short. Listen, I struggle with loving people. I struggle with loving you just as you struggle with loving me. But our lives should be marked still with a growing love for one another. I've been thankful to be a part of this church since 2008. And I've watched God continue to work this out in us. Do I think we've arrived? No, not at all. In fact, just this week was, was just convicted by so many things in my own life about how I love this body. But thank you, Holy Spirit, for doing that. Thank you for continuing to grow me, to show me where I fall short so that I can learn to love better. And we can learn to love one another better. And the world will look at us and say, we know they are his disciples because of their love for one another. You know, it was kind of neat. It's a, it's a neat testimony. I have nothing to do with it. Uh, but it's kind of neat when, uh, when your daughter's teacher, uh, my wife had a chance to, to meet with, uh, with them for lunch just to hang out and have time uh, together. And uh, she just was encouraging her to, to, uh, to maybe come and, and, uh, and visit the church. And she said, I hope you don't think I'm just having lunch with you because I want you to come and visit the church. We really, you know, we love you. We love uh, how, how you've been with, uh, with Jesse this year. And, um, but it was just neat to have this testimony that said, you know, the one thing that's great that we've been able to see in, in your family, and not me, I have not been there, just talking about Stephanie and, and, and our kids. She said, you guys walk what you believe. She said, oh, there's so many places and so many people saying a lot of things, but I don't often see it walked out. I don't see it demonstrated. That's a great testimony that I hope we hear more and more and more, not because we are looking for credit, but because we understand that there's a world that's lost and it sees genuine love. Not the love, the world's version of love, God's version of love being lived out through us as we attempt our best that we can uh, through his power, through his grace, through the Holy Spirit to love one another. 
If we love one another, here it is again. God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. You guys understand, as we love one another, God's love continues to be perfected in us. Are we going to reach perfection? No. (laughs) Am I going to reach perfection in loving you? No. Are you going to reach perfection in loving me? No. But God's love is perfected and being perfected in us. If we love one another. He goes on to say, By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him. Now remember that John is also battling this area of Gnosticism. I don't want to want to say there's a lot of people who might confess, oh yeah, I believe Jesus uh, in, in Jesus, and yeah, that he was the Son of God, but are they talking about the Jesus? The Jesus that came in the flesh, the Jesus that we see in Scripture. Whoever confesses that Jesus is from God. And God abides in him, and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as he who is so also are we in this world. Oh, I'm sorry, because as he is so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love. Let me say that again because it's important that we catch this today. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. So again, we're seeing the motivation here. We're looking. The motivation is Jesus. We weren't the ones who initiated love. He was the one who initiated love. And he showed us. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, and listen, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love God, whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. You see, those two are inexplicably linked, right? We already talked about, about the two great commandments, right? Love God, love one another. You cannot make the claim to love God if you do not love others. That's what John is saying. I don't have that right. You don't have that right. The world and those that are claiming Jesus do not have that right if they do not love their brother. Now, I understand that we live in a community of people, including inside the church. And sometimes when we live in a community of people, things are difficult. Our love is, God's love is perfected. Our love is perfected by spending time with one another. You know, my Sin nature was not riled as much as a single person as it was a married person. How many of you guys can identify 
with that. You brings two sinners together, and instead of me being able to live how I want to live, the way that I like to live, all of a sudden Stephanie's like, what? You, you just left that on the floor, and I just folded the laundry. What are you doing? My, my love is tested not in, 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 uh, in my ability to, to love when I'm by myself. It's in community. It's in fellowship. You know what? Sometimes people are going to love us the wrong way. Sometimes I'm going to rub you the wrong way. Sometimes I'm not going to love you well. And sometimes you're going to do the same to me, although I'm not talking about anybody in particular here. This is not a, a message towards anyone in general. In fact, I, I feel blessed. I was talking with Melvin yesterday. We had a great time of fellowship. And, and you know, that was just something the Lord's like, man, go, go love on your brother. And, and uh, he, you know, he lives quite a ways out of town, and he's not able to come in and fellowship as much as he would like, especially in this season. Uh, for those of you who don't know, Melvin uh, had, a, had a heart attack and a health issue, and he's been recovering. And a bunch of uh, guys from the church went out yesterday and, and, uh, and, and were able to show him some love. Mow the lawn, spend some time, barbecue. I missed out on that part. I always miss out on the food. Uh, but I got an opportunity to go up and we just had great fellowship and conversation just being together. You know, in doing those things, those are, that is how love is perfected in us. And I got to share with Melvin that, you know, it's great. I, I feel it's a gift from God sometimes, and I'm going to get to this in a second, but, uh, but you know, a lot of things just roll off, off, you know, off my back. It's not, I don't take offense to a lot of things. I don't, I don't get wounded too deeply too often. So don't worry too much about, about that. But that's also been a detriment at times in my life because uh, I wasn't always loving when I thought I was loving. You see, I talked about First John helped shape my story, and I just want to touch on that as we, as we close. Because my, my story was I had to hit a low point in my life, as many of us do, for Jesus to really take hold and take control, for the Holy Spirit to really be able to do his work. I don't recommend having to be at your lowest point. It's not fun. It's not in the way that, but so often it is the only way sometimes that God can get through all the noise and all the other things that are going on to get to us, to get to our heart. And, and I think that he used those things literally to save my life. You know, I was walking in a season of, uh, of knowing that uh, I had grown up in the church, of knowing that I felt like God had a call on my life uh, in many ways. But walking in, in, in sin and, and walking in, um, what I say, just practicing sin, what we talked about, what John talks about here, and also about this issue of love. And God got a hold of me, and, and, and I've likened it many times to this, this idea of a house that had a faulty foundation. And he said, look, the structure that you're building on this is not going to last. You cannot be in, in ministry to people. You cannot carry my name forward in the condition that you're in. One, you'll tarnish my name. There's a very real danger that you will tarnish my name before the world. And the other part of that is um, you can't genuinely call people to something that you don't do yourself. You can't claim to be full of love when you don't love people. That really shook me hard. You know, it's a sobering thing when the Holy Spirit reveals to us our condition, is it not? 
Sometimes it's a sobering thing. It was for me, and it was humiliating. Even when, uh, not even just talking about the, the, the public aspect, but just my understanding of, of who I was. The Lord had to bring me to humility. I needed to learn what it meant to love people, to look on people in a way that was different than I had grown up for the 30 plus years seeing people, especially certain areas of life. You know, we went through a difficult financial season and God just broke me, brought me to my lowest point. But in it, he said, look, you've often looked down on those who are now in the position that you find yourself in. And he wasn't doing that to shame me, although I did feel ashamed. He was doing that to show me that I didn't know what it meant to love, especially certain people. I didn't know. I did not have compassion. And he taught me compassion by allowing me and taking me through some difficult things. We never want to walk through those things. We never want to sign up for that. But thank you, God, that you do that in our lives, that you bring us to points of humility and you teach us. And as he was doing that, the sin was one issue. And I'm grateful that he showed me that. He said, look, this is what the scripture says. John writes and tells us plainly, you can't keep practicing sin if my seed abides in you. That kind of scared me for a minute. Wait a minute. Does God's seed abide in me if I continue to, to live this out and live this way with unrepentant disregard for God's command? By the way, the answer to that is, is no. We can't do that. And the other thing is he showed me that I didn't love well. You know, love and tolerance are not the same thing. You don't love people simply because you tolerate them or you're not in conflict with them. You see, that was the danger for me is that I wasn't in conflict with people. I didn't allow things to get to me too, too deeply. So it was easy for me to take a, an offending word and say, hey, how you doing the next week without a lot of issue. And God began to show me, he's like, look, just because you tolerate people doesn't mean that you love them. I don't know if that resonates with any of you, but that was a powerful word for me. And it brought me low to understand, to see what I was lacking, what I was missing. And we need to be brought low so that he can be brought out. I must decrease so that he can increase. You know, walking through those things, it smashed a lot of pride in me. All of it? No. I'm, do I still walk in pride? Of course. We all struggle with this. But, but a lot of the things that I was struggling with at the time, God brought me to a low point so that he could make me usable for him. That I could walk around and I could be this kind of believer. A believer who isn't satisfied with just continuing to go to him for forgiveness rather than to walk in righteousness. A believer who wasn't content with just being in bondage to sin. 
Now listen, sin is bondage, and it is difficult, and it is hard, and sometimes it rules us, and it ruled me for a very long time. But I asked God to show me, Lord, what does this look like to you? Because I seem to not care too much about it. Sure, I feel guilty, I feel shameful, because I know that some of these things are against your commands, your law. But it's obvious that in and of myself, I don't see these things as detrimental. So give me your heart. Show me how you see these things. Show me how you see people so that I can be broken and I can love them like you. Listen, people, I have a loving problem. I do. But day by day, he's continuing to grow me, and I'm thankful for that. I do not love perfectly. But there is one who does, and he lives in me. And increasingly, as I decrease, it allows him to love others better than I am able to do in my own strength. The same way that I am able to live righteously, not by sheer will and determination and sitting back and and white-knuckling it, writing things out just like, oh, I can get through this, I can get through this. Listen today. We cannot be filled with the Spirit of God and continue to sit in front of pornography or live in marital infidelity. We cannot do it. He will not allow us to continue to walk in those things. We cannot claim to love God and continue to not love other people. He won't allow us to do that. And in fact, he gives us 1 John as such a beautiful testimony to make sure that we are not satisfied when we are doing so. But a lot of this, and as I close, comes down to identity. You know, John goes through a great effort to show us that in doing these things, we have fellowship with one another and with him. And we are called the children of God. That is our identity if he lives in us, if we have surrendered our lives to him. He takes residence and he gives us the right to be called the children of God, not because we have earned it, but because he loves us. So coming to an understanding of that identity is really important. I fear too much we come to church expecting to hear a good teaching and instead understand that we are meeting here with one another in this beautiful picture of the church, the body of Christ, he at the head, and he is giving us every opportunity to experience his presence and his power every time we gather together. I know that's me. I'm, I'm always looking for a good teaching. Don't remember, I love to learn. I love to, but it should enhance our relationship with God, not simply define it. There's so many people running around and they're like being tossed to and fro like a wave with every wind of doctrine that they hear. Oh yeah, that sounds good today. Oh, this sounds good. And they don't have any firm foundation because they have no relationship with Jesus. And where does he say this will come from? And this is the kind of the crux. He says it comes by abiding in God. We cannot expect these things to just happen. We must abide in God, for in him is love. He tells us God is love. Whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. John continues to talk about abiding. You know, Paul talks about abiding. Jesus talks about abiding. What's he looking for? He's looking for a relationship. And once a week coming to listen to a sermon is not, I don't think, what he had in mind. He talks about relationship. 
He's pursuing us. He loves us. He wants relationship with us. You know, I long to know God's voice. I long to have fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Do you know that the seasons in my life, and maybe you can identify with this, where I struggle with these things that John is talking about the most, are not the times when I am in fellowship with him. You know, it's really hard to keep on sinning or to intentionally make the decision to move forward in sinning when you're on your knees in prayer and you're asking God to be filled with his spirit. You're asking him to abide in you. God is teaching me this. He's continuing to show me that, that one of the most powerful defenses that we have against the enemy's weapons is prayer. It's to be in fellowship and communion with him. Jesus went to the scripture. Jesus spent ample amounts of time in prayer and he demonstrated for us. He gave us an example to follow. It is my hope that we as a church will continue to abide in him. And worship team, if you would go ahead and come up as we close. It is my desire that we would, as a body, uh, learn what it means to abide in Christ. That is my heart's desire. That is my heart's calling. Lord, I want to know what it means to abide in you. I want to know what it means to know that identity of being a child of God. And here's the thing. I used to live in fear. When I first listened to 1 John, when I first read it, when the Holy Spirit used to uh, use this in my life, guess what? I walked away from 1 John and reading it and weeping before the Lord, and I was in fear. Because I realized that my life did not have the markers that John was talking about. And as I said, that kind of scared me a little bit. It scared me a lot. And as I was facing the perspective of what I was going to lose, in, not just in, in regard to eternity, but even in the moment of my, of my life, in this moment of brokenness, the Lord said, come to me. This isn't lost. You're not lost cause. None of us are a lost cause. Jesus gave his, uh, himself on a cross. God gave us his son because he loved us. And that message is true regardless of how long we've been down and going down this road. And the enemy would love to come and tell us it is too late. You've gone too far. You've exhausted grace too much. Friend, that is impossible to do. We cannot exhaust grace too much that we cannot Come back to him. We do not have to live in fear. He tells us perfect love casts out fear. Perfect love casts out fear. Fear has to do with punishment. And if we're fearing, we're not perfected in love. But this is not, First John is not, the end result of this is not for us to be in fear. You see, I used to be in fear and I don't live that way anymore. Do I still sin? Yes. Do I still make mistakes? Yes. Do I still fall flat? Yes. Do I still struggle with love? Yes. Do I fear? No. Because his spirit resides in me and I see the evidence of that on a daily basis. We must understand our identity. As we close, I just want to invite every one of you here. And I know we're, we're just a little over an hour here, so I want to wrap this up right now. 
Do not resist the Holy Spirit. If I could say one thing as we close, do not resist the Holy Spirit. He speaks to us. He pricks our heart. He shows us, and it's because he loves us. We do not have to live in fear. We can live in full confidence. And I believe many of you, like me, who are in this room, get the, the privilege of that because the Holy Spirit resides in you, and you know it, and you have fellowship with him, and you have communion with him. But today, if you're not sure about that, do not be ashamed. Do not resist the Holy Spirit. He's calling to you even today. You know, I know there's a lot of young people in here today. I wish the young me, I wish the young me who grew up in the church, who heard hundreds of sermons by the time I graduated from high school, had been told about God's love and had listened to some of this teaching from 1 John because I'm sure that it would have had a profound effect on me even then. But understand, all of us, it's never too late. But if we resist the Holy Spirit when he calls us, it's easy for us to quickly become hardened. It's easy for us the next time to resist the Holy Spirit and to resist the Holy Spirit. And I believe a lot of what we talked about, about what we see in the church, what we see in our culture is a hardening that has come because we have continued to resist the Holy Spirit. So as the worship team closes us in a song, Blaine, myself, DJ, we're going to be up here, and I just invite you, like this is not, do not leave with a heavy burden on your heart. If you're in bondage to sin and you feel like you're a slave to sin, I, my testimony is that God set me free. He set me free, and he will do the same for you. That doesn't mean that you will not walk without temptation. It doesn't mean that you will walk without slipping, without falling. But you do not have to live in fear and be in bondage to sin. Jesus came to set us free. He gave his life so that we could be free. And he who the Son sets free is what? Free indeed. I believe our church does a great job loving. But I believe we also have a long way that we can grow in this area. Maybe that's your, your thing today. I have full confidence that this is a loving body, but maybe you would just want prayer. Maybe you're like me. You struggle with loving well. I do. I confess that to you. In fact, today, if, if I have not loved you well at some point, and that has left a mark in your life where you feel uh, unloved by me, I encourage you to come and bring that to me today, or to Blaine, or to DJ, any, any of us, to one another. Let us not leave here without responding to the Holy Spirit. Go ahead, Johnny. We'll, we'll close. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for today. We thank you for the privilege of gathering. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to speak from 1 John, a book that is so near and dear to my life. And Lord, I just, I just ask that your spirit would be uh, speaking to us now. Lord, I don't want these to be my words. That's why I want to use scripture as I want it to be your words who are speaking to us. 
And Lord, it would be the enemy who would be the one to come and accuse. It would be the enemy who would be the one to come and say, it's too late, or don't go, or what will people think if you ask for prayer, if you show weakness, whatever it may be that he uses to keep you exactly where you're at today. Don't resist the Holy Spirit if he's speaking to you today. And I would just pray, Lord, that you would continue to grow us, Calvary Chapel of Crook County, in what it means to love. God, I understand that as we attempt to walk in righteousness and in holiness, that's not a popular thing in the world today. Lord, and there may be many even within churches that that's not a popular thing to preach anymore. And, and they don't want to hear it. They don't want to, to see it. But Lord, may they not accuse us ever of not loving one another. Not that we won't fall short. But Lord, may the world look in and see that we are your disciples because we love one another. God, it says very clearly that as we love one another, your love is perfected in us. And Lord, it is only by your ability and your spirit that we can do this anyway. And so Lord, we ask your Holy Spirit to come and invade us today. Lord, to, to even come upon us, whatever it takes to convict us, to bring us to a place, Lord, where we will be on our knees more regularly just abiding in your presence lord may it not be this week that we walk out from here and we do not spend time in your presence god that is where this flows from the ability to live righteously lord the ability to love one another that doesn't come from from inside of us it comes from you it comes from your seed inside of us it comes from the Holy Spirit. We cannot do it on our own. This picture of Jesus and how he lived and how he walked and how you've, you've called us to love this world, which is growing increasingly difficult to do, Lord, is, is only by you and by your strength, by your grace, by your example. God, I pray that you would move on us and that this week even we would we would take away from the study in 1 John a deep desire to abide in your presence, Lord, to abide in love with one another and to abide in love with you. God, in our core groups, may this permeate how we, how we confess to one another and, and that we are healed, how we share what's going on in our lives, how we love one another well. God, may this affect our, our groups that we meet together, 242, Lord, where we just gather in fellowship, but may we not neglect the gathering together, Lord, that we would be able to love one another and, and learn from one another in the context of, of life. Lord, this, there's so many things to be busy with, Lord. May, may we make the time, may we set the time aside to spend with you before anything else that we can do those other things well. Lord, I, I am not a good husband. I am not a good employee when I am not abiding in you. It may look that way to the world, but I am not effective in the things that you have called me to do when I do not abide. Lord, I know this may be as much a message for me. Maybe you're speaking to, to my heart more than any other. But God, I desire to be in fellowship with you. You know, we look and we see, and I talked about even these men that I listen to that show the love of God. And the one thing that's in common of the, the men that I respect the most, of the women that I respect the most, is that they were people of prayer. 
In the scripture, we see that when you touch a nation, when you touch a people, when you touch a a church, Lord, whatever the case may be, you go and you look for praying men and women that they would be willing and ready and able to do your work. Lord, I pray that that would be us, both individually but corporately, Lord, as a church, that we would be a praying church, an abiding church, that when you look around and you say, who will do my will in Prineville, that you would see a church and a people who are ready to go out and to love because your love has been perfected in us as we love one another. Lord, that that we would be good examples of who you are and be able to have testimonies of freedom because we're spending time and abiding in you and your spirit is is teaching us these things and, and that you are setting us free. Lord, I believe there are people who are here in bondage to sin today. I know I sat for years under teaching and instead of being, uh, of being set free, I left condemned and shameful because the enemy used it when your Holy Spirit was calling me to come and lay it down at your feet and lay it at the cross. God, you have called us to be holy, but we know that we can't do it. And some of us know that right now. These things that are in my life, I can't do it, Lord. I need you. Lord, to love well, we know that we can't do it because we're not doing it already. We need you. So today, if that's you, I would just invite you to come. Take a moment to respond to the Holy Spirit. Allow us to pray for you. If you are sick and you need to be touched today, come forward. Ask for prayer. Let the elders lay hands upon you and pray. And let, this, and let that time and let the Spirit lift you up. God, we need you and we need one another. I need you, God. And I need these people who are right here in this building, in this place. You have set us apart from the world. There's a marked difference between the believer and the non-believer and it's growing by the day. Lord, may we be solid in, our, in your truth. We won't know how to avoid the errors that are so rampant if we don't know you by spending time with you. God, may we be a church that is marked by abiding in you. We ask this today in Jesus' precious and holy name. Amen.